Thanks for joining us, and welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Periodically, we'll bring you true stories of angelic encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. When we come back, we'll begin our next episode. Hello and welcome back to the Watchman on the Wall podcast. In today's episode, Perry Stone answers tough questions that myself and many of you have about the apocalypse. Many of us believe we are in the end times, and some of the prophecies in Revelation are unfolding now. Perry Stone has studied scripture for decades, especially prophecies of Revelation. He goes on to talk about the mark of the beast and why we should never take it. So here now is Perry Stone answering questions about the apocalypse. For the next few moments, I want to share a very interesting message that's going to teach you quite a bit called answering tough apocalyptic questions that no one is answering. And first uh, Peter chapter three, verse 15, the Bible says this, it's our main text, but sanctify the Lord your God uh, in your hearts and be ready always to give an answer to every man who asks you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because when I grew up in a full gospel church, we had a lot of restrictions placed on us of things we were not to do that they felt were ethically or morally questionable. Many times people would say to me, why don't you do that? And I would say, because my church won't let me do it. And I really didn't have a foundation as to why we really were told not to do what anybody raised that way, that we, we didn't have a foundation taught us. We just knew if a church taught it, don't do it. If the preacher said, don't do it, you don't do it. So what I'm trying to do today is help you to understand that when it comes to biblical prophecy, when it comes to end time events, that we have to be able to give an answer to all the people. And you listen to what I'm about to say right now. There are going to be some things happening in the United States this year, next year, in the next couple of years. They're going to want questions. They're going to come and say, can you explain to me, is this in the Bible? Is this in time? Is this about this Jesus coming thing? And I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Now, let's look at the age, ages throughout history, the ages throughout history. The second point there, Jonathan, the ages throughout history. Now, here's what's important that there have been uh, biblically these time frames, the age of innocence from Genesis 1, 28 through 30 to Genesis 2, 15 through 17. That is when Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden. We move from the age of innocence to the age of conscience, which is when Adam fell, he became conscious of sin. And we see the sin pattern developing all the way up to the time of the flood. That would be from Genesis chapter 3 and 4 all the way to about Genesis chapter 11. Then we come to the age of human government, Genesis chapters 8 through 
through 50. And this is when cities began to form like the city built by Nimrod called Babel, the tower. And it goes from there and comes, comes into all the other cities of the world that you begin to see in the Old Testament all the way to the time of the Egyptian empire. Then there was the age of the law. When did that come? It came with Moses on Mount Sinai where God gave him the law. And the, that was from the time of Moses all the way to the time of Christ. For the law and the prophets were until John. Now the kingdom is preached. So now we're in the age of grace. We could also say the age of the kingdom because that was really the message that Jesus preached. So that's where we are presently is in the time frame of grace. Now we will eventually move from the time of grace and I'm going to to what I call the apocalyptic age. And the apocalyptic age is going to last in, in, in the Bible for seven consecutive years. It is known by different names. It is known as tribulation. It is known in Matthew 24 as the great tribulation, also in the book of Revelation. And so there are in the Bible what's called apocalyptic books. Now, what you hear the word apocalypse. What does it mean? Well, the book of Revelation that's the English translation of the word apocalypse. And in Greek, the word apocalypsis or apocalypse means a message uh, or a prediction that is often veiled in symbolism that must be studied to be revealed. In other words, it's something concealed, hidden, that has to be made known or be revealed. Now, here are the apocalyptic books in the Bible. We have a list of them here. We have the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, the book of Joel, the book of Zechariah, the book of Isaiah, and the book of Ezekiel. Now keep that list up for a moment and look at it because what do you see in Daniel? Do you see a bear, a leopard, and a lion? You see symbolism of animals. What do you see in the book of Joel? In the book of Joel, he talks about this army. He talks about comparing it to locusts and things of that nature. The book of Zechariah, read the entire book. Four horsemen, horsemen that are walking, hor- I mean, that are riding, and chariots. And you see all this symbolism, the, 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 the menorah that pours out the golden oil. Book of Isaiah, many prophecies uh, in the book of Isaiah. And then you have the book of Ezekiel, which, of course, is the valley of dry bones representing Israel and you got the battle of Gog of Magog in chapter uh, uh, 38 and 39. So these are all considered books that deal with apocalyptic themes or they deal with predictions of the future. They contain angelic messages and they are often veiled with strange and unusual symbolism. Now let me share this with you because we're going to look at uh, the book of Revelation chapters 4 through 22 and let me just say this in my opinion I am a futurist when it comes to the book of Revelation beginning from chapter 4 through 22 I do not believe as some of my good brethren do that I have friends of from different denominations that the book of Revelation is an historic book that basically has been fulfilled throughout time the invasion of the Turks is the demon locust in chapter 9 and they believe that it's already been fulfilled pretty much I'm not like others who believe that it is a book that everything's already happened in the past that is absolutely impossible these things that you read have not happened in the past when you start looking in this book but what we want to do is this we want to try to cover about four or five tough tough questions and I, I believe these are some very good questions uh, this this may be this may be questions that you've never thought of it may be questions that you have thought of but here's the five I'm going to try to cover with the help of God why are people who take the mark of the beast 
doomed for eternity. Have you ever thought about it? It's an economic mark. So why does God say to them, man, you take it. I'm, we're done with you. That's a good question. How many of you think that's a good question? They answer, raise your hand. Okay. Why are people beheaded who do not take the mark of the beast? You ever thought about that? Okay, it's an economic mark. On the forehead, on the hand, name, number, whatever. Then why, why is the guy killing people who don't follow the system? Anybody want that question answered? Say, I'd like to hear that. Raise your hand. Now, if the rest of you don't raise your hand, I'll just quit preaching right here. Um, no, I'm really going to preach whether you raise your hand or not. The third question is this. Who are the people who survived the tribulation? And why are they allowed to live and reign with Christ when the other people who took the mark are, are sent to the abyss or hell? Question number four. Why does God send so many judgments to destroy people on earth uh, and actually destroy parts of the earth when God loves people? And this is a big philosophical question that you deal with when you deal with people who have this philosophical understanding of the Bible. If God is a good God, why did he create hell? There can be no hell because God is a good God. If if God is a good God, why does he allow children to starve? God's not allowing children to starve. Famine is causing kids to starve. And so you don't want to get into the philosophical argument. We'll be here all day. Why? And there's a big one. Has anybody ever wondered this? Raise your hand if you have. Why does God allow Satan to be loosed after having him bound? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. If you, does anybody want to hear the answer? Well, you're going to have an answer. You need to give the Lord a praise. You're going to have a, we're going to have a good time. We're going to have a good time on God's children. We're going to have a time. We're going to have a time. All right. First question. We're going to get right into this. Is this. Why does God send so many judgments to destroy people that are on the earth? Now, what do we mean by that? We go to the apocalypse. We go to the book of Revelation. And we find out that from chapter 8 through chapter 15, the chapters are beginning to reveal what is called judgments of God. Now, what's judgment? There's a real misconception of what God's judgment is. The Greek word would imply, and there's five different Greek words used for judgment in the New Testament as far as judgment seat of Christ. That's called Bema, the judgment hall of Pilate. But in the general term of saying judgment of God, it is a Greek word that means to weigh something out. Like medically, you take a patient, they're sick, and you're examining them to see will they live and recover or are they going to die? So remember the Bible said to, the Lord said to the king, you are weighed in the balance and you are found wanting. So that's the imagery that God weighs something out to determine does it live or die? Does it deserve judgment or does it deserve mercy? That's what judgment is in the eyes of the Lord. Now, having said that, in the book of Revelation, there are seven angels with seven trumpets. And then later you see seven angels that have the King James says vials. They're actually like large bowls. And they are pouring out. When the, when the angels sound the trumpet, there's certain cosmic and natural calamity. There's like asteroids. There's earthquakes. There's volcanic eruptions that begin to break out on the earth, tsunamis and things of that nature. And then when the seven bowl judgments come, you see kind of repetitive uh, idea of the same type of things happening. They are either cosmic activity that's very negative, affecting the earth, affecting the sea and the land, the trees, the grass, the animals, the food supply, etc. So that is in the book of Revelation chapters 8 through 15, where the series of judgments come. Now, these includes war, these include war, famine, pestilence, earthquake, volcanic eruptions, asteroids, a third of the grass is destroyed, a third 
third of the fish in the sea is destroyed. The third of the ships are destroyed. So this is what we're talking about when we're talking about judgments that affect people. One fourth of the men are killed in one area. One third of the population is killed in another area. And then especially those that have the mark of the beast, they later develop a sore. They develop a sore of some kind that's very dangerous and deadly and very painful. So that's the thing with the mark. You get the mark. It seems to work for a year or two. Then all of a sudden, the mark becomes infected on and the forehead or in the hand. And sores begin to break out on people. So that's a very strange clue there as to maybe it being an ink tattoo, an invisible tattoo. There's a lot of clues that could add up to why the people's skin become affected when they receive the mark according to the book of Revelation. We'll be right back with more after this message. Hello again, this is The Watchman. Please join us each week for an exciting and inspirational podcast dealing with angel encounters, heavenly visitations, near-death experiences, as well as modern-day prophecies that are relevant to us today. So tune in each week and share it with your friends. After all, they could use a little inspiration in their life, too. That's The Watchman on the Wall podcast, and now you can find us on YouTube. We return you now to part two of our broadcast of Perry Stone answering tough questions of the apocalypse. Now, the reason given as to why that there are so many judgments that God is sending has to do with a word found in the New Testament and Old Testament called wrath, W-R-A-T-H. Now, I'm going to show you there are four levels of wrath that are mentioned in the book of Revelation. I want you to follow because this is important. Revelation chapter 11, verse 18, there is what is called the wrath of man. The nations were angry. They were angry with wrath, the Bible said. And by the way, the Greek word wrath there means to get, be so angry that your blood pressure's gone up, you're red in the face, you're just, you're, you just could, you know, the old expression is, I could just kill somebody. Now, we're not saying we're going to do that, but that's the anger. That's the level of anger here, the word wrath. Revelation 12, 12, there's the wrath of Satan. He comes down with great wrath. Can anybody tell me why? Knowing he has a short time. You know the scripture there. So there's the wrath of Satan that is being unleashed at the same time that the nations are becoming angry. Then we find Revelation 6 verse 16 that there is the wrath of the Lamb. The Lamb is a symbol in the book of Revelation for Jesus Christ. He is identified in John chapter 1 as the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So Christ's anger and his anger if you go later on in Revelation chapter 17 and 18 is connected to people who are dying as martyrs for his sake. They're martyring them. They're shedding the innocent blood. And it's angered the lamb uh, because of the righteous that are being killed. Then Revelation 14, 10, there's what's called the wrath of God. Now look at the wrath. Now think about living at a time when may all men are angry, all nations are angry, Satan is angry, the lamb has become angry, and God has become angry. Now do you understand this is the clash of the wrath. Now, when does it start? Well, there's a little clue, and I don't want to go into this because this would sidetrack me, but God said to Abraham, you're going to go into a land 
uh, you're going to be in the, uh, in the land of Egypt, your, your descendants will, he said. And uh, I'm going to bring them out when the, uh, the iniquity of the Amorites is full. It's a cup. And when the cup of the Amorites' iniquity gets full, Israel comes in and judges the Amorites and takes over the land. Now, in the book of Revelation, the mystery Babylon, the woman on the beast, has a cup full of the uh, blood of the martyrs. And because the cup is full, what does God do? He destroys this mega city, is what the Greek says, called mystery Babylon. So the idea here is that when... Uh, iniquity gets full when it starts filling up, filling up, filling up, and there's no repentance. Men are not repenting, and it keeps filling up, filling up. Then the sin, as the expression is in the Bible, reaches God in heaven the way it did uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. It's reached the God of heaven. God saw it. God heard the cries of the people, and then he sent a fiery judgment. Genesis chapter 19 to the five cities of the plain. Zoar, of course, escaped out of those five cities. So here's the reason why God sends judgment to people during the tribulation. I'm going to give you the verses quickly, one after the other. First is Isaiah chapter 13 and verse 9. And here's what the Bible said. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel, both with wrath. Now remember the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of God. There's the, there's the word there again. And fierce anger to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. Or as one translation said, he will destroy the sinners. So this is a judgment against sinners and the total ungodly who have rejected Christ. Then here's another. This points it out as well. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, do you not judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell upon the earth? Now in Matthew 23, Jesus described that Jerusalem would come under a punishable destruction destructive judgment and the temple would be desolate not one stone would be left upon another Matthew 24 verses 1 and 2 and when he talked about this follow me follow me carefully while I say this to you when he talked about this he said in chapter 23 that the reason it was coming is you have shed the blood of the prophets and the righteous people so this idea now, now track with me that the United States of America can shed the innocent blood of people whether it's crime whether its infants in the womb and think that somehow we escape all of this, we have self-deceived ourselves in thinking God is not going to judge us the way he judged the city of Jerusalem. It's just a law of the Bible of the law of shedding innocent blood. So we see, number one, sinners, these are the ungodly according to the book of Jude, are going to be the judgments will destroy sinners off of the planet. Number two, the, the slaying of righteous uh, uh people and also the shedding of innocent blood will create a judgment in the future. That's the second reason. And um, we also know that the third reason, and this is important, is to cast Satan out of the upper realm where he has access to God. Revelation 12 said he's the accuser of the brethren before God day and night. That's the present position. That's the present thing Satan is doing right now. But God wants him cast out of the third heaven realm. He wants him cast out of the second heaven realm where he is called in Ephesians 2 and 2, the prince of the power of the air. And the Bible says that Michael the archangel will wrestle. And when the wrath of, of, of God is released on the earth along with the wrath of the Lamb, one of the things that will be judged will be Satan and one-third of the angels. That's Revelation 12. So Michael the archangel will cast Satan in chapter 12 of Revelation. That's mid-trib somewhere in there. 
out of the second heaven, no access to the third heaven, no more accurate. Are y'all ready for this? No more accusing the brethren. No, no more Satan going before the throne of God accusing you. It ends. It ends at that moment. Then he cast him no access to the second heaven. Now the Bible says this, for Satan is come down from heaven to earth with great wrath. No, if I say great wrath, knowing that he has but a short time. And the first thing Satan begins to do is he begins to attack Israel and he begins to attack the Jewish remnant because in his mind, I really believe, you know, can I tell you that a person can become so self-deceived that they can lie and actually believe it's true? I, I, I can't imagine that if I told a lie as a kid or as an adult, I would know I was lying. But there are people that have neurological problems. They're, they're legit. It's legit. They don't, you know, but they can tell a story and it not be right. It to be totally off. And they really believe it happened or they really believe it's true. And there's nothing there. I'm not going to go there, but I'm just going to say that. Yeah. Okay. So, um, we see here that Satan is coming down. And when he does, you've got the judgment. So why is God sending judgments? And I know this sounds very tough to say it. The iniquity of men, the cup has become full. Three times in Revelation, men are no longer repenting. They are doing such evil to the earth. Revelation 11, they are destroying the earth. That's what the Bible says. So God destroys them who are destroying the earth. Now, here's the reason he does it. To prepare the earth for the rule of the Mashiach, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, to return to the city of Jerusalem and their rule for 1,000 years. So these judgments are kind of a, I, I hate to use this term, it's not the right term, but it's like a cleansing of the planet and a removing of iniquity so that the Messiah will have complete, full, total reign on the planet. So a judgment is coming that does that. Now what we're dealing with, if you happen to be watching a clip of this, is we're dealing with apocalyptic questions that people ask that seldom get answered. And uh, um, here's another one. Why are those who take the mark of the beast doomed for eternity? I mean, let's say it this way. So what's the big deal of putting a, a, a mark, a tattoo, a chip, whatever it is, in your hand or in your head and going out and buying and selling? I mean, after all, do we not use this? And now we they scan our phones and they take money from the bank out of our phone, okay? Well, people lose their phones or their phones can get hacked into. So guess what eventually happens in the United States and the world? You're going to have it on your body and you're just going to, it's going to carry it with you. So what's the big deal? Well, watch the warning in Revelation 14. 9 through 10. And the third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If any man worship the beast and his image, and receive his mark in their forehead or in his hand, the same shall drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out without mixture into the cup of his indignation. And here's the part that's scary. And he, the person, will be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. Now, the fire and brimstone there can refer in the future in chapter 20 to the lake of fire. Okay, I'm going to, can I, well, let me just read the next one. Revelation 19 and 20. Now the beast was taken with him, the false prophet that wrought miracles before him. These two guys, by the way, are found in imagery in Revelation 13. Now it's at the end of the tribulation when this is happening. Jesus has returned. He's got these angels coming down binding Satan. And now look what they're doing. The beast is taken, the false prophet, uh, the wrought miracles before him, which deceived them that received the mark of the beast and them that worshiped this image. These were both cast alive 
into the lake of fire burning with brimstone. So the mark, now, now, now track with me here, is not just an economic mark, it is a spiritual mark because it identifies you in that religion. It identifies you as a worshiper of the image. So they worship the man, they worship this man-made image, and they worship the false prophet. You do not worship men, you worship God. Hello again, this is The Watchman. Please join us on our new video channel called Encounters from Beyond the Veil. It's the same exciting content as our audio podcast, but in a shorter, but yet a video format. Also, please subscribe so you won't miss any of our episodes. That's Encounters from Beyond the Veil, exclusively found on YouTube. Well, thanks again for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends. Also, give us a like. We welcome any comments or suggestions you might have. We also ask you to subscribe so that you will be notified of all our future episodes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time on the Watchman on the Wall podcast. Mm-hmm.